words on water. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this we bring uh, WEF brings to you uh, Dave Ross and Lindsay Mann. Uh, they are our attorneys working with uh, Trotman Pepper to advise WEF on the issues of wipes uh, as it relates to the settlement litigation with Kimberly Clark and uh, Charleston uh, uh, Waterworks. And um, we would like to to provide you today with a sense of what the litigation is and what is not what its uh, key elements are, what the technical standards being used and addressed are. We also expect to have more information on those technical standards down the line. Um, also with us today is Bree Nakamura, who is WEF's technical staff on the WIPES issue and, um, and principal engineer with our activities here. My name is Claudio Turnedon and I am Senior Director of Government Affairs and working with other associations as well as it relates to the WIPES issue. It would be in a, we've been working with this for over 10 years. It is, it's been around and you will see Dave provide you with some background on that as well and Lindsay with some information, specific information on a class action suit. So thank you again and we look forward to a great discussion. Uh, Dave, if you could take it away. Uh, thanks Claudia and I appreciate the introduction and, and also the opportunity to participate. Uh, really appreciate the work that WEF does in this space. Uh, before I begin talking a little bit about the settlement, um, I just want to say, hey, thanks. I may not be at the EPA Office of Water anymore, but I still really fully appreciate what this sector means to our communities, to our country. Uh, keep up the great work, both at WEF and also the individual members and in, in, out in the communities. Um, the si silent, quiet, unsung heroes of every, everyday life. So thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Lucky to have you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So we all know wipes have been an issue for a long time. This industry does. Um, and, you know, it's a, I, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that's been made worse by COVID-19. Uh, for some reason during COVID, um, people decided to make toilets their trash cans. Uh, EPA had to put guidance out on that specific topic early on in the early days of, of COVID. Um, you know, that it's been a long-standing issue. Wipes get into our system. They don't break down creates major infrastructure, major O&M demands uh, by, the, by the utilities. Um, and it's been a longstanding problem. You know, the good news, it's the wipes are beginning to get more attention. Uh, you know, it, both in the media, um, at the state level and the federal level, and also in Congress. There are some, there's some legislation moving around the Hill right now that uh, it, hopefully there's some forward movement that will help the sector resolve both the labeling issues associated with wipes and the and and maybe even breaking down the product when it gets into the system. So we'll see. I know WEF will be carefully tracking that for everybody um, and providing updates. But uh, I'm hopeful that we'll see some legislation moving. It's a it's a it's a bipartisan issue, which is always pretty helpful, very helpful in today's world. So we'll see. Uh, you know, but we all know that for change to happen, it's really got to come from the industry. Um, you know, the the manufacturer of these products. Um, need to be thinking about what happens when it gets into the system. So, you know, utilities are handling this on the back end. Occasionally for change to come to an industry, it takes litigation. And that's exactly what's happening in the wipes issue right now. Uh, the, the Charleston water system has, has sued some manufacturers of, of the various wipes products. 
um, to try to initiate that change through the courts. Um, the, the industry that has been sued is taking the case very, very seriously, is what I can tell from the outside. And in fact, the, the, the conversation today is really about one of the big manufacturers, Kimberly Clark, has stepped up and, and is, is offering to settle the case and make some changes with their product. And so that's a good thing. Um, you know, we're, you know, how the settlement plays out, what's in the settlement, that's for each individual member to make a decision on its own. Um, our job and what WEF has asked us to do is provide some of the background information on what the settlement is about, what the settlement is not about, so that the individual members can make your decisions on whether or not to participate and what's happening to the industry. I do encourage you all to pay careful attention to this. Um, you know, there will be some additional activity, I think, in the courts going forward. So in addition to following what's happened up on, up on the Hill, up in Congress, you know, pay attention to the courts. Um, Lindsay is our class action expert. You know, I'm an environmental natural resources lawyer. Um, I, I, I work in the water, wastewater sector, I think, as you all know. Uh, but when we talk about class action litigation, that's a very specialized form of litigation. Um, I'm a litigator, but I'm not a class action litigator. And so I'll ask Lindsay in a moment to sort of walk through what this settlement means for the sector, uh, both for WEF and your members. The one thing I want to just talk a little bit about um, is, you know, one of the things that Kimberly Clark has agreed to do for their product going forward is to match their product to a standard. Um, and so the name of the standard is the International Water Services Flushability Group, IWSEG, Publicly Available Specifications PAS 3 Standard. That is a mouthful. So the PAS 3 standard um, is, is the way we sort of say it in short. Um, it isn't an ANSI standard, it isn't an ASTM standard, and we all are familiar with the development of those standards, but it is a standard that, um, that the, the Kimberly-Clark will be you know, measuring their product performance against. I think we'll probably have some conversation later on about what, what that standard is and is not, uh, just to provide some additional information for the team, but um, you know, we will, you know, that is one more technical, from a technical standpoint, there's a lot of legal stuff in there, a lot of money stuff, you know, or money not stuff, uh, you know, like that Lindsay will get into. I say the word stuff because it's hard for me to explain it. But from a from a technical standpoint on a wastewater side, um, you know, the PAS three standard is something that you all should be should be reading and taking a look at because that is part of the settlement and that is what Kimberly Clark is committing to, you know, by I think May 2022, making sure their product complies with that standard. And so that's a that's a key technical piece the settlement. I just want to cover it at a very high level and we'll have some follow up on that in, in, in a bit. Hey, so Dave, with that, it's, the, it's the technical stuff. Yeah, technical stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Showing the still lawyer. So we still say stuff, but it's technical stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I played an engineer on TV once. Um, it was fun in a former life. But uh, anyway, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're that's why Bree is on. Bree's the uh, the technical stuff expert. And Lindsay's a class action stuff expert. And so we're going to turn it over to Lindsay right now to, to get into the more details on the on the class action settlement. So Lindsay, please take it away. Thank you, Dave, and thank you to Claudia and Bree for having us today. Um, so yeah, just to take a step back, this is a case that's pending in district court, in federal court in South Carolina. Um, it's a case, as Dave mentioned, that was brought by the commissioners of public works of the city of Charleston. Um, the group of defendants, uh, the, the defendant we're going to talk the most about today is Kimberly Clark, but there are other defendants, including Costco, CVS, 
uh, Procter & Gamble, Target, Walgreens, and Walmart. So the, um, as Dave mentioned, Kimberly Clark and Plaintiff, the city of Charleston, have reached a settlement agreement. That does not impact the claims against the other defendants. So those other defendants are proceeding in the litigation. Um, this settlement does not impact the, the claims against those defendants. The other thing is, you know, as has been mentioned already, it's a class action. And that means that, that the city of Charleston brought the, the action on behalf of itself and all other entities that own or operate sewage or wastewater conveyance um, and treatment systems. I think the date of the class period is January 2018 to present. So if you operate a sewage or wastewater treatment operation or system, um, or if you have from January 2018 to present, you are in the class. Um, and so you should pay attention to this settlement because it will impact your rights going forward. Um, so the this is most people think about class actions and they think about you know big dollar settlements and um, and you know you get those letters in the mail that say you know you you're entitled to your three dollars back because you overpaid for your direct TV. That's not this kind of settlement. This this is a different kind of class action. It involves only injunctive relief. So there's no claim for monetary relief. It's only injunctive relief, which means um, the kind of relief that Dave was talking about. Kimberly Clark has agreed to meet this standard by date certain. They've agreed to consumer education. They've agreed to change their label. Um, so they're, they've not agreed to pay any money. What they've agreed to do is make changes in their in their manu in the manufacture of their product and how they label their product. Um, and that's important because when you bring a class action for um, for injunctive relief only, the rules for opting out of the class are different. So normally you would be able to say, if you were a class member, you could say, I don't want to be a part of this class. I want to reserve my right to pursue claims on my, on behalf of myself as an individual. With this class, you don't have that option. You can, if you are a class member, you cannot opt out of the class. So you are in the class. Um, and that's, that's an important distinction to keep in mind. So um, and just to kind of tell you what's going to happen from here, so procedurally, um, a settlement in a class case has to be approved by the court. So you can't, in a normal case, you can reach a settlement, sign the dismissal papers, and go on your way, and the court never has to be involved. In a class case, it's different. So here, plaintiff and Kimberly Clark have filed a motion with the court, and they said, here's our settlement agreement. We want you to approve it. And if it's, it's the first step is a preliminary approval, um, which would which then triggers the right for class members to object to the settlement. Um, so what will happen is you would submit a formal objection. You just write a letter to the court and say, I don't think that this settlement is sufficient to protect my rights. Don't approve the settlement. Um, another critical distinction here is that the court, in reviewing those objections, will and, and taking, and he'll also hold a fairness hearing so people can come and present their objections in person if they want to, but it'll be an up or down vote. So the court will either say, yes, I approve the settlement as drafted, or no, I don't approve the settlement, it's rejected. There will be no revision of the settlement agreement. So it's not as if you could file an objection and the court would say, hey, that's a good point, let's add in this provision. That's not how it works. So it's either up or down. Um, and so the, that's, you know, that's where you guys come in here. And I think, you know, this is a, a, a wonderful industry group, and can you all can think together about the sufficiency of, of the commitments that Kimberly Clark has made. And, and so the thing to do here is to, is to read that standard, as Dave said, think about whether it's sufficient to, to affect um, reasonable change. Um, it's, it's a big deal in the industry for Kimberly Clark to go first and to enter into this kind of a settlement. Um, I think it, it's a, a step in the right direction. Uh, however, you know, if, if you feel it's not sufficient, then 
um, then you should, you know, marshal whatever resources you have um, and numbers matter. The more the merrier here to convince the court that it's not sufficient. Um, and so the, the thing to do is just to read the, you know, read the standard, understand the standard and, and make a decision about whether um, it's something that you would want to file an objection to. And then let me say one last thing. Um, we talked a little bit about what you can't do. Uh, the good news is that if you're in the class, um, this only the settlement only imp impacts uh, future claims for injunctive relief. So it would not prohibit you from bringing a claim for monetary damage. So, for example, if you had you know damage to your sewage system and you want to make some infrastructure changes, um, you could still file a lawsuit for monetary relief. Um, this settlement would not preclude that kind of that kind of claim in the future. So I'll stop talking there. Um, I don't know if you guys have questions now, or um, of course Dave and I are, you know, available um, as questions arise. But Claudia and Bree, I don't know. I'll turn it back over to you guys. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, appreciate that very much. That was a very clear statement of what we are dealing with. Um, but let me let me ask again because I think I heard it right. I even wrote it here. Uh, you cannot opt out, huh? So, so could you just, just uh, maybe make grab that home one more time because I think that's important for our folks to know because it leads sure, to our yes. comments. Yeah. Yes. If you meet that class definition, you are in the class and you cannot opt out. So, if you don't like the terms of the settlement, your only option is to file an objection with the court and ask the court not to approve the settlement. But you cannot opt out of it. Okay. So. So that means, sounds to me, that each utility really needs to look closely um, at the terms of the, stip the stipulation of this settlement. Um, and, and maybe too also, we'll talk a little bit in a second about the standards, also at the standards and say, okay, the, uh, these stipulations are okay with me. I understand, uh, with us as a utility, um, the the standards may uh, looks they may look robust, so they they may seem robust enough. Um, so those are some of the considerations that each utility needs to have. Is that about right, or am I missing something? Both for you, Lindsay and Dave, is this about summarizes it? That's exactly right. Yes, it's, it's really critical to read the standard and understand what it means and how it might impact the changes that Kimberly Clark is is committing to make how it would um, how it would impact your utility. Yeah, and, and I'd add so, you know, WEF has prepared a nice one pager that summarizes the class action settlement and what's in what it what it means, what it doesn't mean as you know, information available. The stipulation, the draft stipulation itself is really not that long to read. There's a lot of other stuff that goes around it. That's a bunch of lawyer stuff. It's unless you need you have problems sleeping at night, you know, maybe read it. Um, but the stipulation itself is actually fairly tight. You know, pay attention to the commitments to changing um, labeling, uh, to the education and out, out, outreach and awareness. You know, beginning, you know, Kimberly Clark is basically saying we're going to shift our product and then the market is going to shift along with us. That's in cases like this, um, when companies like Kimberly Clark and others settle, you start thinking about what the market looks like. And so there's education and outreach. You know, they're committing to an independent standard. You guys need to be comfortable with that standard. Um, but it, it, the amount of information, it, we do recommend individ, each individual utility has its own circumstances. Read the information as you as you dive into this, then call, uh, call WEF, 
their experts and, and get some additional information. So it's uh, but it's a it's not a heavy lift from a reading standpoint. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to know that if you're a utility that has been dealing with this issue for some time, um, has been considering injunction relief in some form, particularly I think is important that you look at this. Um, if you're looking to do monetary damages uh, actions anyways, that's another consideration. But if you had in your list of things to ask uh, injunction, injunctive relief, then this is particularly of interest to you to look at. Is that, is that about right, Lindsay, in terms of um, if, if you are involved or thinking about next steps as a utility in dealing with the issue of wipes, is that about right? Yes, that's exactly right. So it, it will not impact your right to bring a claim for monetary relief. It only impacts your claim for injunctive relief. Um, you know, for, but for example, in addition to the things that Kimberly Clark has already agreed to, perhaps you would you would want additional label changes, or you would want a different form of of public education, or you might want some other kind of relief. And so that's that's the kind of thing you would take a look at and and examine it and to see if you know if it if if the relief they've committed to is sufficient or not. And let me just say too, Claudia, I should have said this at the outset, but if, if there is an objection, the court will hear that. One-off objections have less power than, you know, a group of people coming together to make an objection, especially if you have an expert who says this standard is not good enough. Um, the result of that, though, likely will be that, Kimberly, that the settlement agreement is not approved and Kimberly Clark will just go back to litigating. So it's not, uh, I just want to be clear that you could say to yourself, I don't think that this is enough. I think that they should have to make an additional label change. You're not going to be able to accomplish that in this settlement agreement. The, the end goal is that the court does not approve the settlement and Kimberly Clark just goes back to litigating, which isn't to say they couldn't negotiate another settlement agreement. It's just, it's just that you're not going to be able to redline this settlement agreement. I see. I see. A uh, quick update on the status of the litigation. I, I think you did mention something, but um, are, had there been any uh, last minute filings and last minute uh, activity? Because, you know, uh, July 15th at 2.35, you know, something may still have happened. <laughs> that's right. Today even. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, normally what happens is the, the, plain, the settling parties file a joint motion and ask for preliminary approval, which the court generally grants, and then that's what triggers the deadline for objecting or opting out in a different kind of class action. Um, here, that though, the court has not granted the motion for preliminary approval, but nevertheless, two putative class members or two people who are in the class, entities in the class, have filed letters with the court. They're nearly identical. And they say that um, that the relief thought isn't sufficient, that it doesn't allow for the kind of injunctive relief they would like to bring. Um, and that is, they would like to establish a fund uh, that could be used for public education or uh, label changes or other types of abatement um, of this problem. And 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 then secondly, their other concern is that um, is that as worded, they think that the settlement agreement would is at least sufficiently ambiguous that it might not allow for a monetary claim coupled with a claim for injunctive relief. Um, so those two those two letters are on the docket. I understand they're going to be made available through the WEF website. Um, but the plaintiff's counsel responded just today and said and clarified the second point. They did not address the first point about the fund, but they clarified the second point to say, um, no, we want to be really clear. We're not going to do anything to prohibit your or impair your ability to bring a, a claim for monetary relief. Thank you, Lindsay. Appreciate it very much. So now I thought 
we'll switch a little bit of direction um, and talk a little bit about the, the International Water Services uh, Flushability um, Group. Uh, so, Bree, could you give us a, a background? This, this is the group that has the specifications that are being agreed upon by uh, Kimberly-Clark to, uh, to um, uh, comply with those standards and specifications. So, um, that becomes a very important part of this discussion. So, Bree, could you give us uh, some background on that and uh, how those standards have come to be? Yeah, no problem. So, I think many in our industry are familiar with some of the kind of standards that come out and those that are put, put out by ANSI and ISO, but around flushability, there's not really a lot of guidance um, on how you define if something that's flushable wipe or, or even what those parameters are. So there really is only two specifications really that are out there that kind of talk about flushability, one being this IWSFG flushability specification and the other being in this GD4 speci um, specification, which is the wipes manufacturers and their association. Um, the big difference between these two groups is that the internationals, um, flush the PAS group, um, I'll go with what Dave said, keeping it short, um, they actually put their specification out for public comment. So they first started developing their specification back in 2017, came out with their first edition in 2018, offered it up for public comment where there was actually lots of comments and they, they addressed them publicly. Um, finalized their documentation in June of 2018 and actually just released an update in November of 2020. Um, the big difference between the IWSFG and the GD4 is around those parameters for the PS3, which is their disintegration test, um, which really tests that kind of real world situation in a sewer of the breakdown of the products. Um, one of the big factors in this disintegration test, which they use the slosh box test, where they actually put a wipe into a box with water and kind of try to mimic a situation of it being in a real world sewer for a specific amount of time at a specific temperature and velocity, um, is that it is the closest to real world situations. It is a big difference from the GD4, which kind of really mimics lab testing and really only tests for the difference between a product that's really bad, like a baby wipe, um, and something that kind of breaks apart. So not necessarily to that kind of toilet paper um, level that we're really looking for in the wastewater industry, since we've always kind of seen toilet paper as something that's not hurting our, our sewer systems. Um, so that that's the big difference. Um, the IWSFG is an international group, like Claudio mentioned, so they do have representatives from all over the world. Um, including Australia, Japan, Spain, Canada, New Zealand, and then the U.S. with the U.S. voting member being NACWA currently. So um, it is publicly available. People can, can view it on the website, and I'm sure we will be coming out with um, a little bit more information from some of those experts that we had that helps work on that standard in the future too. Uh, WAF is looking forward to providing some additional information on the standards themselves um, and have that available and also the ability to, to have Q&A. Um, so we're planning on that as well so that uh, the, the standard that is being, um, uh, that, that Kimberly Clark is, is availing themselves of, um, that folks understand what that is and how it's being uh, developed. Um, now, in terms of its robustness, um, you know, WAF, as wastewater sector, we understand that to be, from our perspective, the strongest uh, standards that we have out there, but whether or not they are robust enough 
uh, for utility and their needs and what you're dealing with as a utility. That's an evaluation that you have to make. Um, the the website for the IWSFG does have a lot of information and how is the, uh, the those standards or PASs or public available standards were made available or, or developed. Um, there's a lot of uh, testing going on. There's also some research at different universities. So it's it's something that is uh, that's been taken a long time to develop. Um, and uh, so, but each utility must really look at them and see, uh, or, or or potentially uh, a member of the class that you need to look at those. Uh, standards and, uh, and and for yourself evaluate what you think. Uh, if you have questions or you'd like more information, WEF can help uh, make that possible to to have your questions answers answered. Um, but um, it's uh, it's WEF's role here is an educational uh, role and to make available information that you need to make your decisions on this issue. Um, so going forward, if you have questions on that, you can uh, check with uh, uh, WEF's website. Um, WEF has a website that we're pushing. You know, we'll look for social media um, and also in our um, uh, press releases or information because it's now on our website, a website that has all this information and the documentation on the litigation. Um, so it's a one-stop shop for information on this. Um, so feel free to 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 go there and, and get that information. So with that, that's what we had. I don't know if there are any more questions or additional or final comments of any of you uh, here in this discussion. I think Claudia, uh, let's let's hit one more time because we use the word injunctive relief and monetary relief, and maybe just talk a little bit of like real world what that means. So if you're utility X in town, you know, in township somewhere in a state, um, and you've had clocks in your system, whether or not it's in the pump station or you've had a pump blow out or you've had major O&M to re reduce, you know, having to go in and deal with the clog. You know, there's real money either in capital outlay um, to replace a pump, fix a pump station, repair a, a pipe, um, repair a sewer, uh, you know, or the additional operation and maintenance having to consistently go and deal with that, even if it's not the infrastructure impairment, there's the annual operation and maintenance budget that is so mm -hmm. critical to the sector, right? And so mm -hmm. if you have to kick over a couple hundred grand to go deal with a continuous clog situation, that means you're not doing your other maintenance that you need to do throughout the rest of the system. That's monetary damage to the system from clogs that might be or might not be caused by wipes and other things in the sewer system. Um, and so if that has happened to utility and you want to pursue litigation against some of the manufacturers of some of these products that are causing those problems, this lawsuit, and Lindsay will correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't prohibit those cases. You still have that avenue in front of you. What it does prohibit, the injunctive relief, is if you want to sue for the monetary damage and then ask the court to say, and oh, by the way, manufacturer X, stop making this product or make this product different within X period of time, warn our customers about it. Um, that is asking the court to order a private entity, uh, a company to take action in response to litigation. That's the injunctive relief component that is closed out after this settlement, at least with respect to Kimberly Clark. Um, and so that's why I just wanted to sort of Put the real world example out there as to the differences. Lindsay, did I get that right? That is exactly right. Yes, you're exactly right. So if you want to bring a claim for money damages, 
uh, to, as you said, there's some issue and you, you, you have damage and you want a money judgment, then you are good to go. You don't have to pay attention to the settlement. If what you, instead, what you want is for Kimberly Clark to meet a different standard or to say something different on its label, um, then you, you should pay attention to this settlement because you will be precluded from bringing that kind of a claim in the future. Well, let's keep in mind too that so you're good to go in the sense that you may have an action, right, Lindsay? Uh, it's different on your burden of proof. Uh, you know, you're still going to have to make your case, right, for the for, for the damages, and uh, and you're going to have to show how those specific uh, those wipes caused specifically the problem in your, you know, in all the other legalese that come with it. But that still all holds. Uh, what we're saying is you still allow to to bring an action and then you're going to have to do what you're going to have to do to demonstrate and support your case um so i think these are very important distinctions and it's important that uh each one of our utilities uh, and our members consider as they think about uh, this one last question i wanted to make it clear because they've set set a standard for us to speak clearly here today um, and that is uh deadlines and uh, when do we have a deadline on the table right now Lindsay? No, there's no deadline on the table. So once the court, um, it, and, and usually courts do um, grant these motions for preliminary approval. Once that happens, um, that will trigger requirements from the settling party. So City of Charleston and Kimberly Clark will then have to issue notice um, to impacted parties, including all potential class members. And that notice will clearly lay out what your deadline is. It'll say, you have to submit your objection by this date, the court is going to hold a hearing on this date. You don't have to come, but if you want to come, you have to show up on this date. Um, and it'll it's it's a very it's designed to be very user friendly, and the court will actually approve the form of the notice as well. So um, you will you do not currently have a date, but you will have a date once the court grants that motion for preliminary approval. So that's um, what we had. We had uh, thought of uh, this through, and we our plan was to deliver to you information on the litigation, on the status, what some of these uh, elements meant, uh, what some of the important aspects of the litigation, including the standards um, that, that are being um, used. So uh, we also expect more information on that and to, to talk to folks that, that are true experts on the development of those standards. So we expect to bring you more information on that as well. So with that, um, unless folks have anything else to add, um, I think that this concludes our session today. So I'd like to thank you, Dave um, and uh, Lindsay, for bringing such expertise in such a clear way. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Uh, uh, they also have been keeping us informed um, of the status of the case and the filings as of today. So you, you have the latest. Um, Bree, thank you so much for uh, your overview of the technical side of things and being such an asset here at WEF. Um, so if you have any questions, um, please, on our, on our website, you have our contact information as well. So uh, thank you so much and thank you all for participating today. Words on water. <laughs>